As we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark this year, we are still in chapter 1. This is a very short reading about the call of the disciples that begins at verse 16. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, on this day, both cold and beautiful, we ask that you will be with us as we hear your word, as I seek to preach and bear witness to it. And with your spirit, take these words and challenge us and comfort us and send us on our way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. One of the most quaint and romantic stories in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the calling of the first disciples. It is romantic in the, not in the sense of a love story, but in its quiet beauty, its calm setting on the Sea of Galilee and its shores. It lacks any of the loud action that we have seen so far in Mark, in the preaching of John the Baptist, or in the voice of God speaking from the rent heavens, announcing to Jesus, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Jesus has emerged from facing temptation in the wilderness, where in the comforting hands of angels he has survived temptation by Satan and the presence of wild beasts. He has begun his public ministry and spoken his first words, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. From these identity announcing events, Mark shifts gears and depicts Jesus passing along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, in the same breath that Mark labels that body of water a sea, He also refers to it as a lake. And a lake may be a term more in keeping with the reality on the ground or rather the reality in the water. The Sea of Galilee is the second lowest freshwater lake on earth. It is only 8 by 13 miles. On most of our trips to Israel, we have ridden a boat across it and its waters are fresh and blue. It feels more like a large lake than a sea. Jesus sees two men out in their boats, casting a net into the calm waters, plying their craft, doing their work, seeking to bring bring home a day's haul from the abundance of fish that the lake contains. 
Mark identifies the fishermen as two brothers, Simon and Andrew. Now, Jesus uses a word play as he calls to the two fishermen from the, from the shore. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. Though Mark gives us nothing of their background, nor any indication that they knew of Jesus from rumors or reports of his baptism or from the preaching of John, these two brothers immediately leave their nets and follow Jesus. As the nets dangle over the side of the skiff, the first two of Jesus' 12 disciples have been called. Walking a little further on the banks of the shore, Jesus sees two more men fishing. Mark tells us that they too are brothers, James and John. Unlike Simon and Andrew who were casting their nets, James and John are mending their nets. Jesus calls to them and they too leave. But unlike Simon and Andrew, James and John leave not only their nets behind, but also their father who is in the boat with them and other hired hands who were in the boat as well. We can deduce that James and John had a much larger operation, spanning at least two generations, having at least a handful of employees. It is, in short, a family business, of which Mark says they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. Though in my earlier days I wrote a sermon consisting of imaginary letters that James and John wrote back to Zebedee over the months of their following Jesus until they abandoned him after his arrest, no such letters exist and we never see Zebedee again in the gospel. He is left in the boat with nets, equipment, and worker. Workers, his future dangling like the nets of Simon and Andrew as his sons join the movement that is forming around this person, Jesus of Nazareth. And it happens quickly, ever so quickly. As Mark uses the word immediately twice in these few verses, a word he will use over 40 times in his gospel. Over 40 years ago, a loquacious young boy in my congregation typically required a little advanced strategizing on the part of whoever was giving the children's sermon that day. He was not a bad boy, but he did have a strong sense that the moment for the children to come forward and, and sit in front of the congregation was something that he, and perhaps he alone, owned. <laughs> he was a loud, he had a loud husky voice that made him sound older than the eight or nine years he was at the time. My first Sunday in that church when I called the children forward and sat on a stool and you know, surrounded them, there were a dozen or so of them around me, he looked up and said, so you're the new guy, huh? 
I would love to know what his church life is like now. He'd be about 50. I don't know. So, but once I was giving the children's sermon on this passage and this young man was uncharacteristically quiet. When I asked the question, why do you think they left their nets and their father? There was a pause and then he raised his hand. I'd never seen him raise his hand before he spoke. And in an almost reverent whisper, he said, in order to follow Jesus, you have to leave something behind. I have never forgotten it. In order to follow Jesus, You have to leave something behind. Sometimes nets. Sometimes a boat. Sometimes work. Sometimes family business. Sometimes family. The setting of this story is so quaint that we might not recognize what a great writer Mark is. His use of the word immediately introduces a sense of urgency that develops on these quiet lake waters. From casting to mending, from Simon and Andrew to James and John, from leaving nets to leaving father. Mark is is intentional in another word choice he makes, particularly those, like immediately, which will appear later in the gospel. In our few verses... The word leaving, a fontes in Greek, is a strong word. It is the same word that Mark, that Mark will use 14 chapters later when right after Jesus is arrested, all of the disciples, including Simon and Andrew and James and John, will leave Jesus and flee. A fontes, a fontes. There is a leaving for Jesus, and there is a leaving from Jesus. Aphantes, Aphantes. When the spiritual muse next touches Mark, Mark is led to narrate four events of healing following the calls of these four disciples, healing a man with an unclean spirit, healing many people at Simon and Andrew's house, including Simon's mother-in-law, healing a leper, healing a paralytic. Then Mark narrates the call of another disciple, Matthew the tax collector, and he follows that with four stories where Jesus and his followers come in conflict with religious authorities. Conflict over Jesus' habit of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Conflict over why Jesus' disciples don't fast. Conflict over Jesus' disciples violating the Sabbath by plucking heads of grain from the field and eating it. And conflict over Jesus violating the Sabbath himself by healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. This last act prompts the religious party to seek out the civil authorities and begin to figure out how to get rid of Jesus. A calling, then a healing. 
a calling than controversy, conflict, criticism. The action is moving. It is moving quickly. It is moving quickly toward the cross almost immediately. But back to these four fishermen. We can sort out some of the dimensions of what led these four to respond to this call. But we're a bit speculative here since Mark tells the story so quickly and with such spare detail. Whether they had encountered or even heard of Jesus before, we do not know. As implausible as it is that they would leave so much so quickly with so little information, something something beyond human comprehension likely leads these disciples to leave all. And follow Jesus. That's the way it often is with a calling. Religious or secular. Vocational or familial. We may have all the rational, predictable and planned elements in place. The SAT tutor. The visit and interview. The essays filled out and sent in on time if not early. But then something something from beyond us nudges us to pick an unexpected school. To say yes to a new and different relationship. To take on a vocation that no one in the family foresees coming. To set out to serve in one of the most dangerous parts of the world among the most besieged of people. It can all happen so quickly. And it can be the right thing. A calling. A calling. When these first four of Jesus' twelve disciples answer his call to follow me... At least for them, it involves a reframing of their vocation. Fishing for people versus fishing for fish. Several of you I know are actively seeking to reframe your vocations. Which often involves using the same gifts and talents in service to a different end. A new cause. A new effort on the human side to make the world, or at least the way we spend our lives, a little more in keeping with the image and intention of God. Fishing for people versus fishing for fish. The wordplay Jesus uses was probably more than a game to which we turn every morning on our phones when we wake up. A crucial aspect of their positive response to follow me is an element of trust. When Jesus first begins his ministry, he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand and he calls people to repent and he calls people to believe the good news. Whether Simon and Andrew, James and John had heard this announcement, we do not know. But when they answer his call to follow, they are repenting to be sure not necessarily of any deep, dark sin, but, but they are turning. And repent means to turn. Above all, though, they are placing their trust in this voice from the shore. The Greek word Jesus uses for believe is pistis. It means trust 
It's not a word that calls people to understand at this point the doctrines of the church, justification, virgin birth, trinity. There's not a church yet. So nobody's yet formulated any of these doctrines that the church will later come to hold and often argue over and sometimes go to war over. But these four people who work with their hands, who probably cannot read or write, entrust their lives to the voice who calls them from the shore, answering a call, answering any call is an act of trust. Our service today involves terrific hymns and anthems that express the various aspects of what these four disciples experience when they receive a call from Christ to respond it. We're going to sing a hymn. I think we sing it last. I forget what service I'm at, but I think we're going to sing it. It's one of the neatest and sweetest hymns out of the 19th century. I have loved it ever since I heard it as a child. And as melodic and sweet and gentle and pastoral as it sounds, as it sings, as it is, its words are powerful about a call to follow Christ. Jesus calls us, or the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store. The vain world's golden store. Anybody got an Amazon delivery coming today? I do. From each idol that would keep us saying, Christian, love me more. In our joys and in our sorrows. Days of toil and hours of ease. Still he calls us in cares and pleasures. Christian love me more than these. Jesus calls us. By thy mercy, Savior, may we hear thy call. Give our hearts. Entrust our hearts to thine obedience. Serve and love thee best of all. Amen.